We are in our fifth week of a sermon series that we're calling the sermon series uh, The Name. We're going through Acts 3 through 10, where the word name is used 22 times, and every time it's used, it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, get up and walk. There's salvation in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's healing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Over and over, this phrase, the name, and then the Lord Jesus Christ is used. And we've been thinking about what it means that we identify with Jesus. What's different in our life when we identify with Jesus? And that really starts this identification with Jesus, us being in Christ, us receiving Christ's healing, us receiving Christ's grace, us receiving Christ's new life, really begins with Jesus identifying with us. That God, eternal, spiritual, came down and took on human flesh in Jesus Christ, that Jesus became one of us, that Jesus walked this earth, that he was tempted in every way as we are, but without sin, that he went to the cross, and on the cross he took our sin and our death upon himself in order to give us his life and his eternity. That's identification. God identifies with us. And so we're not here. This is very important. I got asked this in my small group this week. What do you mean when you're saying Jesus identifies with us? God identifies with us. What I'm saying is, if we were on earth trying to identify with God, that's an impossible thing, right? That's like the little gnat that, you know, flies around trying to become me, you know, trying to identify with human, you know, we're, we're just different. God is up here. We're down here. I'm never going to, in my own strength, achieve God's righteousness. I'm never in my own strength going to achieve eternity. I'm never in my own strength even going to achieve what God created me to achieve because I'm a fallen human being. But Jesus came down to enter into our life, to take our curse upon himself, to give us his righteousness. And now because he's identified with me, he's living in me through his Holy Spirit, I can now identify with him. Got a question for you this morning, and uh, it kind of goes to this point. And the question is this Have you ever thought, I can't do this? Ever thought, I can't do this? Maybe about anything in life, could be your job. You know, you go to work on Monday and you see the stack of papers in your inbox, or you see the stack of emails in your email, and you're like, I, I can't do this. You know, you ever felt that way? Or, or you think about your marriage, and there's times in your life, where you think about just how hard it is, and you're like, I can't do this. Or on the flip side, being single or going through a divorce, and you're like, I can't do this. Or if you have kids like Margaret and I do, and you're bringing them through adolescence, there's those moments in, in, in those years where, you know, I don't know if I said it to them, but I definitely said it to Margaret, I can't do this, you know. Uh, or, or maybe it's your spiritual life. Maybe it's your emotional life. You're dealing with uh, uh, depression. You're, you're dealing with uh, suicidal thoughts. You're, you're dealing with disappointments in life. You're dealing with grief. And there's moments in your life where you just cry out and God, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. It's kind of a human experience. I, I have those moments in my life as well. I've had those moments in my marriage. I've had those moments as a parent. Most often, I've had this question come up in my heart around my vocation as a pastor. I'll just be honest with you, just be confessional with you, that there are moments in my life where I think as a pastor, God, I can't do this. I feel called to it. I feel like, God, you have me where you want me to be. But even as your lead pastor here for the past three and a half months, there have been moments where I thought, I can't do this. 
I don't want you to judge me. I know some of you guys are looking at me like, right now like, oh my goodness. Uh, don't, don't, don't judge, you know. We all go through these hard things. It's getting better. I've been doing it for three and a half months. Uh, and, and now I only probably ask this question maybe two or three times a day, more on Sunday. Uh, but it's getting better, like I say. But have you ever had that? you ever had those times in your life where you think it's something important? It's something that God would have you do. It's something that you should do, but you think, I can't do this. I can't do this. Kind of a normal human experience. To me, like I'm talking about, it's part of being part of this broken world. It's part of being a fallen human being. It's, even God has things for me to do that I feel like I can't, I can't do that. I can't live into that. I can't make that. I can't finish that. I can't fulfill that. I can't be that. I can't do this. The good news of the gospel, and this is kind of one of the things we're talking about as we go through this passage, is that if God is in the plan, it can't be stopped. There's a truth. God's eternal. God is uh, all-powerful. God has a plan for the redemption of the world. Jesus is the central figure in that plan. Jesus died, resurrected, and sits at the right hand of the Father, and is going to come again one day to restore all things to himself. And in that context... God's plan can't be stopped. While my plans inevitably lead to, I can't do this, God's plan can't be stopped. And a caveat to that, and this is what we're thinking when we're talking about identification, a caveat to this biblical truth, we're going to look at this biblical truth today, a caveat to this biblical truth is not only if God's in the plan, it can't be stopped, but if I'm in God's plan, if I'm working God's plan, if I'm part of God's redemptive plan, if God's plan is my plan, my plan is God's plan, then I can't be stopped. Now, that, that sounds a little bit overstated. It, it, it sounds a little too much to me, but I want you to think about that for a moment. If God's plan can't be stopped, then when I'm working God's plan, when I'm identifying with God's plan, when I'm in God's plan, I can't be stopped. Uh, of course, our experience is not that. I just told you, I'm pastor of the church. I know, believe that it's God's plan for this church to thrive and for people to know Christ and for people to grow in their faith and for me to be faithful as a pastor. And I have my doubts, you know, multiple times a day that I can do this. But I keep telling myself, if I'm in God's plan, in that sense, I can't be stopped. How do I get through this? I can't do this. Over and over, I'm telling myself, if God is for me, who can be against me? When I'm weak, then you're strong. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the heart of all this is the belief that if I'm in the middle of what God's doing, I can't be stopped. I'm not, not saying that bad things can't happen. I'm not saying that I, I can't lose my job. I'm not saying I can't be sick or that I won't die. One day, see, this is the thing in my fallen life, this life as I experience it, is going to be transformed into a new life. This world as we experience is going to be transformed into a new world. And in that sense, God's plan can't be stopped. When we're in God's plan, in other words, if you're in God's redemption plan, it can't be stopped. If you're in God's salvation plan, it can't be stopped. Eternally, it can't be stopped. Let me tell it this way. Uh, Abraham and Sarah. God had a plan for Abraham and Sarah. God said, I want to make you into a great nation. From your offspring, I'm going to make you a multitude of 
nations. And Abraham and Sarah, when they were in that plan, could not be stopped. Even with their own dumb ideas, even at times when they were not exactly in that plan, that plan could not be stopped. The fact that Abraham was 100 years old, the fact that Sarah was barren, the fact that they did stupid stuff like go down to Egypt and tell Pharaoh that his wife was his sister, right? The fact that they came up with this, their own plan to fulfill God's plan. Why don't we make a child through your servant girl, which is a terrible idea, you know? I mean, just you couldn't get a worse plan. Even with their own dumbness, they could not stop God's plan. And that's what I'm saying to you is that when we're in God's plan, when we're working God's plan, we can't be stopped. Think about Moses. Moses is in the desert. He's already killed an Egyptian. Now he's run from Egypt. And God shows up to him and says, Moses, I want to send you back to Egypt. I want you to go and tell Pharaoh, set my people free. Moses like, I can't do it, right? I got this speech impediment. I'm not eloquent. They already know I killed an Egyptian. I can't go back there. And God says, it's my plan, right? You, you, you cannot mess up God's plan. That's what I'm saying to you. You can mess up your life. We all are going to mess up our life. We all have messed up our lives. And because of that, we think we can mess up God's life. You can't mess up God's life. You can't mess up God's plan. God, when, when you're on God's plan, you can't be stopped. Now, we're going to look at this in a text that's going to make you a little dizzy this morning. It's uh, Acts chapter 5, and this is a text that's like a roller coaster. It's up and down, it's up and down, it's up and down, it's up and down. And that way, it reminds me of life. One moment in this text, you think, yes, we're going to do it. We're going to accomplish this. The next moment, you think, where's God? How'd you let this happen? And this goes over and over and over and over like a lot of our lives go. But through it all, the one theme, and we'll see it at the end, is just this that God's plan can't be stopped. That when you and I are in God's plan, we can't be stopped. All right, we're going to start with the up, Roman, uh, Acts 5, 12 through 16. In your sermon notes, this is the first up. This is the first time we see God's plan breaking through. It looks awesome. It looks unstoppable. Look at verse 12 through 16. At the hand of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico, but none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. To such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets. So that Peter, so when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinities of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. It's beautiful. When I think of the early church, this is what I think of. When I think of what church should be like, this is the kind of stuff I think of. This just looks like the center of God's redemptive plan, right? Signs and wonders are taking place. The apostles are telling the good news of Christ. They're sharing what they experienced. Jesus died and rose again. Thousands are coming to faith. 
And God's working so powerfully to heal and to set people free that everyone with any infliction is trying to, trying to get to them, you know. And they're bringing people out on cots and they're just trying to, because God is doing miracles in their midst. And it's like, yes, right? I don't know if you've ever had these types of moments in your life. Maybe not to this extent, but if you ever had these types of moments in your life, they're those mountaintop experiences, those experiences when you feel like you're so close to God and you feel like God's presence is such a, a manifest, genuine part of your life. And, and you actually have those moments where you feel like, yes, God, you're doing it. Yeah, yeah we, we can't be stopped, you know. Maybe it was on a, on a mission trip or maybe it was on a retreat or maybe some service ministry you're in or sometime when you've prayed and you just felt like God was with you in such an intimate way and it's like, yes. That, that's, that's the kingdom of God that we're experiencing. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit that we're experiencing. God working in us or God working through us. And in those types of moments, it's easy to think, God, you know, you're doing it. We can't be stopped. Have you had those kind of moments in your life where you said yes? Maybe in your personal life where, where you, you, you've, you've done the right thing and your marriage is going great and you're like, yes, it's, yes, it's, uh, it's working, God. Or, or maybe with your kids and, and you're, you're seeing God's, kingdom in their life in some unexpected way you're like yes God it's it's coming or or maybe even in your career that you you feel like man I was praying that God would open this door and and God opened the door and and now I've got this new job I just feel like this is exactly what God wants for me yes hopefully we all have those types of experience in our lives and in those moments it's easy to believe if it's God's plan it can't be stopped it's easy to believe if I'm in God's plan, I can't be stopped. The thing about life is, is that most of us don't live there. We have those moments, but those moments of, of mountaintop experiences quickly lead to moments of, of, of valleys. And, and so you'll see this in this text, and actually this text will go over and over through this cycle. It's redundant. And... Uh, this sermon will sound redundant in a few minutes. <laughs> Fortunately, we're almost halfway through. So uh, that very long intro is going to pay off for you. But it's, it's high and then it's down. The, the first down you see in verse 17 through 18. But it starts with the word but. Every little passage in this bigger passage is going to start with the word but because we're contrasting. God's working. What happened? God's working. What happened? But the high priest rose up along with his associates that is the sect of the Sadducees. And they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in public jail. But, right? Do you ever have that happen in your life? You feel like it's working. God, you're working. But, I, I, I thought... I thought our, mar our, our marriage was getting better, but, right? I thought, I thought my kid was making better decisions. I, 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 thought, I thought we were through that, but, right? I, 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 God, you felt so real in my life last month. Where are you now? It's that but. Have, have you had that experience? See, I think... 
If you're a new Christian, or if, you're, if you've never even really experienced Jesus in this way in your life, what I'm talking about, I think the assumption is, is that this is not normal, right? If, if I'm really walking with God, it should be just up, 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 up. But I think anybody that's ever really walked with Christ, and these disciples certainly have, they know that this is very normal, up and then down. God, you're amazing. Look at what you're doing. God, where are you? What happened? And, and that's exactly what happened. They're, they're preaching the gospel. They're seeing thousands of people come to faith. They're healing the sick. They're setting people free. Everybody likes them, except for the people in the Sanhedrin. Everybody's for them. Everybody's, and, and God is working in miraculous ways. And, and, and as a pastor, I'm thinking, okay, we're going to build a great big church here, and it's going to be awesome, and, and everyone's going to be celebrating. And then, boom. They get arrested. Second time they've been arrested. Actually, they were just arrested a few days ago. And then they were taken to court and the Sanhedrin said, don't speak in Jesus' name. Now they've arrested them again and they're in jail. And it doesn't tell us what it was like in that jail. But I know if I was in that jail, I'd be like, God, what are you doing? I'm trying to be faithful here. I'm trying to serve you here. I'm trying to do the right thing. Can you let this happen to me? It's the up and then the down. And imagine every one of us has experienced this. There's a name for this. They call this life. It's up and down, up and down. And so you'll see it turns up again in verse 19, 19 through 24. I'll read through 21 and then I'll just fill in the, the rest. But, it's turning around, this is the good but. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison. Taking them out, he said, Go. Stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. That's what we need, the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Wow. Just when it looked like they were, were going to spend, you know, maybe the rest of their lives in jail, all of a sudden, an angel shows up. It's the middle of the night. It's like, come on. I'm busting you out of here. Takes them out. Now, the next thing the angel says to them is really crazy. The angel says, we're going, we're going back to the temple. Solomon's portico. It's the edge of the temple where people would gather. It's still the night. You know, it's dark. There's nobody there. He's like, well, we're going to get there and get a good spot because when people come, I want you to preach. They're like, that's, that's where we got arrested like 12 hours ago, right? We, that we were, that's what we were doing 12 hours ago. When we got, yeah, that's right. Come on. It's going to be great. Takes them to Solomon's portico. They're preaching. The crowds are showing up in the morning. It's, it's, like, it's like it never happened. It's like right back on top. God's working. Arrest. God, where are you? God's working again. Up and down. We've, we've been there. Then you see in verse 25, it happens again. But someone came and reported to them, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. In the morning, the Sanhedrin met and they said to the officers, go get the apostles out of the jail that we put them in. So they went to the jail. They said, they're not there. We don't know where they are. And then someone came and said, oh, they're back in the temple, back preaching. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people, that they might be stoned. 
When they had brought them, they stood before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in his name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring the man's blood upon himself. I I find that a little ironic, that little part. It says they questioned them, but where's the question, right? There's There's no question there. Get to a question, council, right? It's like, yeah, you know, there's no, there's no question. They question them. We told you not to do this, and you're still doing it, right? It doesn't look good. They're back in the Sanhedrin. They're back in the high court. They've, they've now been arrested and then let go and then arrested again and now set free from the angel and now back in court. It's just, it's just up and down, up and down. God's working, and then God's working, and then... And for a lot of us, what I'm saying is this is the normal Christian life. That, that, that there's those moments when we experience God's kingdom and God's presence and God's power. And there's moments where we don't and we say, God, where, what, where are you? What are you doing? The, the, the thing that we have to hold on to through this process of life is this truth that we started with. That if God's in the plan, it can't be stopped. And, apostles, if we're in God's plan, if we are doing what the angel told us to do, if we are doing what God told us to do, if we're living out this gospel life, if we're doing God's plan, we can't be stopped. Yes, it's going to be up and down. In a sense, we're being stopped. I mean, they are literally being stopped. They're preaching, and they're coming and throwing them in jail. So literally, temporally, they are being stopped. But the point is, eternally, in God's plan, they can't be stopped. Jesus won. They're in Jesus. They're going to win. It's going to work out. They're going to end up. It's, and that's how our lives are. If God's in the plan, it can't be stopped. If we're in God's plan, it can't be stopped. So look at verse 29-32. But, but Peter, the apostle, answered, We must obey God rather than men or people. This is the same conversation they had the last time they were in court, like four days ago. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He's the one whom God exalted to the right hand as prince and as the Savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so, the, so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So the Sanhedrin brings them in, says, we told you, don't, don't speak in his name. You can go and teach, you can go and heal, just don't do it in Jesus' name. And he's like, what are we going to do? That's the only name we've got. We've got nothing else, right? We saw him. You hung him on a cross, and God raised him from the dead. He is the power. He is the life. He's, he is our, our message. He is our healing. There, we don't have, there's nothing else that we've got. And they're, they're testifying to the Sanhedrin of the power of God. And then look what happens. It's back down in verse 33. But when they heard this, but when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. Peter and John and the rest of the apostles are doing everything God tells them to do, and it just keeps getting better, worse, better, worse, better, worse, and now the Sanhedrin wants to kill them. 
I'm sure there's been moments in your life where you felt like that. Where you felt like, what's the point? What we're doing, we're doing everything that God wants us to be doing. I'm trying here. I'm killing myself here. But none of it's working. Maybe in my marriage, or maybe with my kids, or maybe with my depression, or maybe with my addiction, or maybe even with my relationship with Christ. Like I feel that intimacy, that presence of God one moment, and the next moment I feel like I'm all by myself here. And I, I think if you've walked with Christ for any period of time, you, you know that experience. You know that, yes, God, we can do it. And then that next moment, God, where are you? God, I prayed and you came through and you did it. And God, I prayed and nothing, crickets. God, God what are you doing? It's the, it's the normal Christian life in the fallen world, right? We're not there yet. The, the, we live in a broken world, right? Adam and Eve sinned. God, God created a perfect garden, a perfect world for us, for, for creation. We lived in that. But then Adam and Eve sinned, and in Adam and Eve, we sinned. And when God kicked them out of the garden, God put them under a curse, a curse of sin and death. And God said, now life's going to be hard, right? You're not going to just eat of the tree anymore and have an abundance of food. Now you're going to make your living by the sweat of your brow. You're going to have to work and life's going to be painful and difficult. And so we live in this world that God created good, and we experience that goodness, and yet it's fallen and broken. And we experience God's redemptive power in our life, but then we experience the broken world, and it's this up and down. Look at verse 34, 39. This is where this passage ends, and it reminds me uh, where the whole thing ends, but we'll get to that in just a minute. It says, but, this is the last of these buts in this passage, but a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. The apostles were removed from the council, and then the council wanted to have their own deliberations. Uh, Gamaliel wanted to teach them something. He said to them, men of Israel, Take care of what you prepare to do with these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered." So, in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men or people, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. Gamaliel was an expert in the law. We're told he was a Pharisee. And he was respected by all the people. He, he, was, a, he was a theologian. He was a, a, a lawyer in the Old Testament law. He was knowledgeable about the things of God. He asked that the apostles leave the room. He wants to impart some of his theological understanding to the rest of the council. But he's not just a student of the Scriptures. He is that, but he's not just a student of the Scriptures. He's also a student 
of history. He's been watching. And one thing he's noticed is that Jesus is not the first person to come along and claim to be the Messiah, right? Israel's looking for a Messiah, and there have been other people who have come along and said, I'm the Messiah, follow me, I'm going to bring God's kingdom, it's going to be great, you're going to want to be on the right side, come and follow me, we're going to do this. He says, just think about Thutis. We don't know too much about Thutis, but some years ago there's this guy, he's claiming to be the Messiah, he's got 400 followers, it looks like this movement has some energy. He's a charismatic leader. He's claiming to have authority. He's claiming to be from God. And 400 men are following him. And then Thutis gets killed. And what happens? This is Gamaliel talking to the council. He's like, what happens? Well, if you remember what happened, nothing happened, right? Thutis gets killed. And all of his followers, within a few weeks or a few months, they just disperse. That's what happens. You kill this charismatic leader who's just some guy presenting himself to be divine, presenting himself to be the answer to everyone's problem, but he's not. He's gone, and nothing comes of it. He says, I got another example. Think of this guy named Judas from Galilee. Same thing. He claims to be a Messiah. He gets all these followers. He's got this charismatic movement. It looks like something's coming to him. He gets killed. What happens? Nothing happens. The whole thing just falls apart. And he says, the exact same thing is going to happen right here with this guy, Jesus. If Jesus is not the Messiah, and Gamaliel does not believe Jesus is the Messiah, but if Jesus is not from God, if this plan is not from God, the exact same thing is going to happen. He's been killed, right? We did that. The Sanhedrin, along with Pontius Pilate, killed him just a couple months earlier. He's got these followers from Galilee, there were actually just 120 of them when Jesus died on the cross. They're fishermen. They're farmers. They're not theologians. They're not trained. Jesus dies. If you guys do nothing and Jesus is not the Messiah, this thing's going away. His, his implication is you're just making it worse by keeping arresting these apostles. You're giving them a platform. Now the people see them and they think, oh, we're against them. Just let them do their thing. Nothing's coming of this. If they're not from God, this is coming to nothing, right? Just like Thutis, just like Judas, this is not a problem for us. Just ignore it. That's, that's what Gamaliel is saying. And then he throws that little caveat in at the end. But if this is from God... All of your fighting, all of your work to try to stop this is going to come to nothing. Because you can't stop God's plan. This is the main point of the sermon, main point of the text. If God is in the plan, it can't be stopped. This is, this is what we're talking about. If, if this is God's plan, it can't be stopped. You can't stop God's plan. So that's Gamaliel's advice. It's good advice. It's biblical advice. It's theologically profound truth. Gamaliel is not a believer, not at this stage in his life. We don't know what happened to him, but he's not a believer, but he understands how God works. He knows God has a plan for his people. God has a plan for redemption. God has a plan for the Messiah. He understands that. He's a Pharisee. He understands God has a plan for eternity. God has a plan for resurrection. He understands those concepts. 
And he says, none of us can thwart that plan. Even the whole Sanhedrin working together, we cannot stop God's plan. And if this is not God's plan, nobody can make this thing work. It may work for a season, it's going to end. All of our lives are like that. You see that? You understand that? All of our lives can be seen through this lens. If this is God's plan, you and I can't mess it up. That's what we started with. If God's plan is to redeem the world in Jesus Christ, if God's plan is to restore all things to himself, we can't mess that up. We can participate in it. We can fight against it. But we can't mess that up if that's God's plan. If it's our plan, if we're working our plan, we could work it and there could be a season where it looks good, right? But it, ultimately, everything that we build on our own in this world is a, is a sandcastle. It's going away. It may, it may have a trajectory that looks good. Thutis sure did, right? Judas is still sure did. But in the end, it's going away because we're going away. This world is passing away. Our bodies are passing away. Our lives are passing away. And so what we build in this world that's from us is passing away. But God's plan can't be stopped. That's where the identification piece comes in. When, when we are in God's plan, when we identify with God's plan, when we're part of God's plan, and God invites all of us to be part of that plan, God's redeeming the world. God's creating a new creation, new heavens, new earth. When we're part of that plan, we can't be stopped. You know, it's easy in life with this ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs, whether you're a believer or not, it's easy in life to get to the place where you say, what's the point? I give up. I tried, but it, I can't do it. And like I say, <laughs> I go through this multiple times a day. So you're not alone if you go through this. But all of us go through these moments where you're life and you're like, I can't do it. Even when we're serving God, there's those moments in life where we say, God, I was, I was trying, but I can't do this. But the truth is, if we understand this, what Gamaliel understands is that we don't have to do it. When we're in God's plan, we can't be stopped. You, you may have an area of your life where you feel like giving up right now. Maybe it is something that is of human origin. And whether you give up or you go all in, we have to just understand that those things are, are one day passing away. What I build on this earth, it's not from God. It, it, it's passing away. It, it's not going to last. But if God's in that plan, if God has a plan for your marriage, if God has a plan for your kids, right? if God has a plan for, for your life, if God has a plan for your witness, for, for your work in the world, for your giving, for your doing, if, if, God, if you're part of God's plan, it can't be stopped. We can relax. We, we don't have to make it happen. We don't have to feel like it's all resting on us. Peter and John and the apostles, when they're in jail, they're like, oh, no. Not, not, not only are we in jail, but God's plan is destroyed. No, they, they knew Jesus is going to come again. And he's going to do it. We can't stop it. We can only be part of it. And we can just relax. We can just rest in that truth. If God's in it, if you're 
in God's plan, if you're in God's salvation plan, you're in God's redemptive plan, this constant up and down that is part of this life is never going to sink you. you. You can't mess this up. Just like Abraham and Sarah, they could not mess up that plan. They, they did some really dumb stuff. I don't want you guys to go and do any of that stuff with saying the Pastor Todd said you couldn't mess it up. They did some really dumb stuff, but you can't mess this up. If God's in it, it's going to happen. And if you're in God, you can't be stopped. Let's pray that might be so. Lord God, we thank you that you've got a plan for this universe. You've got a plan for your creation. You've got a plan for each one of us. And what a joy it is to know that. In the ups and downs of life, in those moments where we say, yes, God, in those moments we say, where are you, God? Remind us that you are doing a work, that you're redeeming your people, that you're restoring your creation, that you're creating a new creation, that you're healing and restoring, that you have an eternal plan. That the temporary ups and downs of this life, the suffering and hardship and the thrills and excitement, and even the lives and the death that we experience are not as big as you. That you have conquered sin and death and even our own will. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that we might live our lives in you. That we might walk in in the name of the Lord Jesus, that we might find life in the name of the Lord Jesus, that our lives may matter for eternity and that you'd be glorified in them. In Christ's name, amen.